Welcome to the Opera Biz Podcast, uncut and unfiltered, where we hang out with opera professionals and talk about life inside the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. <laughs> so I'd like to hear, um, you know, kind of how, how, you've, how you went around, how, went about doing this. So kind of what's your, what's your background? When did you start opera? So I was getting a musical theater degree mm -hmm. in, uh, in school at Ithaca College, and I thought it was what I wanted to do. I got a summer stock season in Pennsylvania in between my sophomore and junior year, and it was like Little Abner, Fiddler on the Roof, Oklahoma, Footloose, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, Victor Victoria, and Rocky Horror Picture Show. So like a lot of shows yeah. all at once. And um, I was so excited, first time I was getting paid to perform. And, um, and there was that like status thing in school. Like if you got a summer job, you were like the shit, you know, right, of course. <laughs> so, I was like, cool, cool. And, um, and I got there and I like hated it. I totally hated it. We were doing Footloose and I was just, I remember one show I was just like looking around the stage and like, oh my God, this sucks. And then I realized everyone was looking at me and I realized it was my line and we'd all been standing in silence for like five minutes. And um, <laughs> awesome. It was just a moment. And I was like, yeah, I hate this. I'm out. And so I went back to school um, and I told my voice teacher that I didn't think I wanted to perform, that I thought I wanted to quit. And so by that point, I had transferred there to Ithaca College. I was at Florida State prior to that. And there I was a music ed percussion major and then I switched cool. to theater and I had a piano minor and I was just like all over the place. I was in the marching band. And um, so I got to Ithaca and was getting this musical theater degree. And then after one year I told my voice teacher I was quitting and she was like, nope, you're not. You've <laughs> she was like, you've been at two schools. You've had like six majors. You're gonna graduate. <laughs> so um, she said, you know, okay, so you don't like Footloose, why don't we just for fun, let's like study a little opera together and I'll start giving you more lessons because you need some therapy with me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so she, um, you know, because we got half hour lessons as musical theater majors. Oh, so okay. Yeah. She was like, listen, come for an hour. And then she went down the hall and knocked on the door of Patrick Hansen, who, mm -hmm. um, you know, is a legend. And, uh, and he took me under his wing as well. So the two of them kind of shaped me. I had two years left at that point, and he was like, okay, you're going to learn these five arias, and this summer you're going to audition for this program, and I'm going to call them and tell them to watch out for you. And, you know, so I got my first job in opera at Ashlawn Opera, was what it was called then, now it's Charlottesville, um, yeah. but because Patrick Hansen made a call for me. Nice. And, um, and so, you know, I graduated with that musical theater degree, and... Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. We were showcasing in New York, you know, in, in musical theater programs. You come to New York and do this thing where you audition for every Broadway casting director and agent. And, and I had a lot of uh, success there. I got offered um, the National Tour of Oklahoma and I got an agent and I got a commercial and all this stuff. But I had also, at the same time, I was auditioning for grad schools for opera, mm. like with no idea what I was doing. Right. But Patrick was like, sing these five arias and, you know, wear a suit. And <laughs> so, um, so you hadn't touched any other opera rep besides no, those five arias. Not no, no, really. no, 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 not at all. Yeah. And it was like Zorostro and like a handle aria he was like sing low and slow you know and that was all he ever said to me and I was like okay <laughs> um and uh David Lefkowitz was up there guest directing at Ithaca College at the time so he kind of like gave me some coaching and everyone was just like throwing things at me like all right you're gonna basically like fake this and just try and get your foot in the door and so I did and um I got uh you know, a couple of young artist programs and I got into University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And um, it was funky timing because that was the year that Knoxville Opera like almost went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And so they relied on all the grad students to float their season. So we all did roles. And wow. so we did like all these shows and all these roles and we all sounded terrible because we were like 22, <laughs> but we all survived, you know, and um, so about I, trial by fire. Yeah, it was crazy. It was what crazy. was your first role? Uh, Gideon, March, and Little Women. Okay. You know, in like a 3,000 seat theater with an orchestra. And it was like my first time singing without a microphone. You right, know? right. <laughs> it's like, cool, cool. <laughs> I was like a child. Um, but, uh, and we did Butterfly, and um, we did Boheme, we did Most Happy Fella. 
So it was a big, a big old season and a lot of opportunity, but I built my resume like all just in that one year, Right. you know, right. roles at Knoxville Opera, Ashland Opera, Central City picked me up. Um, and this was like my one year career as a young artist in opera, basically, because um, at Central City, this was 2006, um, they thought I was like way older than I was and more experienced than I was and gave me these covers and I ended up going on as the Commendatore and Giovanni and I was like, I just screamed because yeah. I didn't know what to do and I was a child and I was on stage with singers from the Met, you know, <laughs> it was horrible. And um, Pat Pierce, the general director out there was like, yeah, what are you doing? Maybe opera's not for you. Why don't you move to New York and like try out for Broadway or something? So I don't know why, but uh, his advice just kind of, it was hard to hear and it also felt like something like good advice like okay yeah. yeah move to new york and audition for broadway so i did and you know i got a broadway show like right away totally lucky and kind of crazy um and then i just ended up doing broadway for like five years straight mm -hmm. um which carried me through when i was 30. yeah and then at that time i had been it was my third broadway show it was about to close we've been running for two years and I didn't have anything coming up and I just turned 30 and I was like, oh yeah, my voice teacher said when I turn 30, my voice will mature and be ready right. for whatever. Hang so, let the siren go by. Yeah, that, that sweet spot of when the voice is supposed to have another change. Right, right, right. Be ready that to sing the low about. voice. Yeah. But, yeah. And, uh, you know, come to find out when I turned 30, she was like, can't wait till you're 35. And then when I turned 35, she was like, when you're 40? Oh my God. Because I've been with her all this time, you know, so it's uh, funny. But um, yeah, so I did those five years on Broadway and then the director of my last Broadway show is Phelan McDermott. He does all Philip Glass's stuff. And mm -hmm. he was like, hey, come audition for this Philip Glass opera we're doing in Madrid and London. And and that was it. I like got that and then I've just been an opera ever since. But nice. it's, it's kind of a weird path because yeah. I like musical theater, year in young artist programs, Broadway, and then like Philip Glass and then now whatever. What are, what are some of the, I mean, there's obviously distinct differences between performing musical theater and, and opera, but what were some of the challenges going, going back to opera after doing musical theater? Um, you know, I thought it, I had this idea of what I thought it was supposed to be and it was mm. all wrong. I thought it just needed to be like loud and, um, and there's this sound that, you know, old school low voice males associate with, you know, what an <laughs> opera singer is supposed to sound like. And I've never had that. And I kind of, I'm at peace with it. Like I don't want it for myself, yeah. you know, but I sounded different than other people. And everyone was like, what are you, a bass, a bass baritone, a baritone? And I was like, I'm just a guy singing. Like, why does it matter? I just sing what I sing. Yeah, like, yeah. hire me, I'll sing it, you know. Um, but I had this idea of what it was supposed to be. So mm -hmm. I just, like, you know, out of the gates was, like, screaming, like, wobbly, vibrato, like, just, like, you know, killing myself yeah. in, like, a page of music. Yeah. You know, no idea about, about what it was to have stamina and do a huge role and, like, have to sing all night long and keep it fresh. So, you know, and and I didn't have, I was coming to it with no diction training, you know? Oh yeah. And I hadn't taken voice lessons in like five years when I jumped back into opera. So I was just like, again, trial by fire. Did and you start doing individual coaching or did you coach with the companies that you were with or? Yeah, I just coached wherever I was. Yeah. And um, that Philip Glass opera I did was called The Perfect American and we got the score like a month before we started rehearsal because, you know, Philip Glass, who I love more than anything, like <laughs> he's responsible for a lot of my success, but, you know, he, he wrote that thing last minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. well, that, yeah. It's kind of the way it goes when you're doing new music. You can yeah. have it crazy yeah. early or it could be totally yeah. completely last minute. And they kept emailing like, the score's coming, we promise. And then it finally came and it was like... The kind of pieces, just pieces to yeah. look at. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was what it was. It ha I've done a lot of new operas and that happens a lot. Yeah. And it's okay. And then some new operas, you do like two years of workshops and you show up and everyone knows it already because you've been workshopping it. And that's luxurious and lovely. But, yeah, you know, a lot of times it's like last minute and we all get that because we're artists like right. everyone knows what last minute yep. feels like <laughs> yes yeah good god don't miss those days yeah. yeah the nice thing though moving on to the 
the going from musical theater to the opera is yeah. the schedule. At least you're not doing between six and eight shows a week. I don't know. I kind of miss it though. Really? Yeah. I that do. nonstop of doing the same show. It's so comfortable when you're doing mm. eight a week. It it almost that's like your neutral state. Okay. And it feels like you're just like in your living room wearing pajamas. Yeah. Like opera every night feels like opening night because of the days off and it's like you only get five chances maybe sometimes two sometimes one after yeah. weeks of rehearsal and it's like I remember doing the Adams Family like six months into it I was like oh now I get this show like this is cool I know what I'm doing now yeah but that was like you know it's that's hundreds of shows later right you know right and I finally was like oh cool I got this did you find it tough to not let the characters become stagnant or in musical theater yeah or I don't know um What'd you do to keep it fresh? Well, there's this adrenaline of doing a Broadway show where it's like you're in Times Square and like people are like, I don't know, there's someone at every single show, it's their first show ever, their first yeah. Broadway show ever, you know, and these kids at the stage door are like freaking out. Like, you don't have to work too hard, you know yeah. what I mean? It's just yeah, like yeah. exciting and fun. Yeah, that's a mentality that I, I never did, like I did, I did theater. Yeah. Did acting but never did musical theater. So I, you know, and of course never did a Broadway show. So it's like, to me in my mind, that's like, that's a, just a shit ton of shows a week. Yeah. But I can understand how it would be kind of just like your go-to sweet spot. Totally. Like going home kind of thing. Totally. But the other thing is you're getting paid really, really well. Yeah. And you're getting health insurance. You have retirement. You have like all these benefits that you definitely don't have an opera, you know? <laughs> so there's some things that you're just like, yeah, I'm happy with this. This is great. I'll do this thing eight times a week for six figures a year and health insurance. Are you kidding? Like, yeah. Yeah. I miss that. <laughs> I had some friends that did, uh, that were either in Wicked for six plus years, did individual shows, like the same show for years and years and yeah. years. And they got done with it and they're like, man, I'm just, it's time. Like, I got to retire the show. Sure. Like, I got to walk away from the show. And then got done with it was like, oh, yeah. There was Broadway money and insurance. Right. Yeah. What am I doing yeah. now? What can... <laughs> well, listen, it's easy to lose perspective when you're in it. Too. Yeah. It's really easy. And I remember feeling that way. I was doing South Pacific before I did Adam's Family, and that was, you know, much smaller. I had very little responsibility in the show. I had an eight-measure solo mm. and, like, otherwise, like, wore some costumes and danced around. Like, it wasn't, I wasn't. You, know, you were the tall guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember a couple months into that being like, oh, this is what I do eight times a week. This is hard. This is kind of boring, mm -hmm. you know. And it was tough to feel that way because that show specifically was so celebrated and people were freaking out for it. And it was like sold out for a year. And then to feel like, oh, this is kind of not that exciting anymore. Yeah. That, that was tough. But, um, but I think I kind of figured out in that moment that I need to do like roles and be challenged and have material, you know, yeah. and I kind of just figured out, okay, I'm not ha happy in a chorus. That's not me. Yeah. That's totally understandable. Yeah. Um, what was the, the actual transition into the opera like for you? Did you, was it, what's the best way to put it? Were you at home right away with it or did it kind of take some getting used to um, I was not at home right away with it. I was home at home with it, like, in the sense that that glass premiere was an amazing acting role, and it was a very physically challenging role, mm -hmm. and it asked me to do things that, like, like I was doing, like, the robot, basically, while singing opera, and I was this, like, Abraham Lincoln robot that broke down, <laughs> and it was really intricate choreography, and, um... So I felt at home in the sense that, like, physically acting and movement-wise, I was doing something special that is uh, not the norm in opera. Yeah. So, and that's kind of been a theme of, like, my, my life in opera is, like, doing weird things acting and movement-wise. And, um, like, I was just doing Tales of Hoffman. And I was like, oh my God, this is like a stand-in saying, oh my God, what do I do? I, I, don't, I can't use any of my strengths, I just have to sing. And then I was like, no, you will, this, okay, this act, you're Martha Graham. Like, this act, you're, you know, I just started, like, doing stuff. And I went to the director, I was like, do you mind if I just, like, do stuff? Is it cool? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just started, you know, I went to town. And it was perhaps too much, but, you know. Hey, it is, it is better to go too far and have the director rein you in. Yeah, totally. Than the other direction. I totally. mean, that's... Coming from a theater background, having done acting, that's one of those things that, that bugs me about a lot of 
a lot of opera. Yep. And I think we're getting better now, remembering that you're a character on stage, yep. acting is something you need to do. Yep. But there were definitely some years there where I went to shows and I'm like, yep. I didn't. I thought the era of Park and Bark was over. Like, yeah, no, why are we? Or, or just really academic acting, oh, super yeah. basic. Yeah. Um, so I, I love it when I see somebody make very clear character decisions. Yeah, yeah. Really distinct character decisions. It's and they're not the same person in every show. Yeah. We definitely have those. You know, yeah, yeah. there have been some, some phenomenal opera singers and still are some phenomenal opera singers who are, they basically have three characters that they play. Sure. And no matter what role they're doing, it's one of those three and that's yeah. it. With like a different wig. Right. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> uh, they may even retain some of their own personal jewelry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But yeah, I love to see... Uh, people take risks yeah well I mean there are voices that require very little acting and it's just so special to be in the same space as them yeah. I'm like not one of those voices <laughs> <laughs> so and I'm cool with that like <laughs> I know what I am I know my strengths yeah like you want me to act a scene I'm, I'm ready you know but, yeah yeah I, I remember doing street scene and being handed the script to do a cold read for the yeah. audition and looking around, everybody else just flipping their shit and freaking out. Yeah. Like, I have to read lines. Yeah. I have to what for this audition? And I'm like, yeah, we're back home, baby. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I love speaking on stage. It's like... It's, mm. Honestly, I miss it. I miss that more than singing opera on stage. Honestly. Yeah. Like, for me, it was less about the... It was less about the singing. It was less about the stage performance. And it was more about the adapting a character. Mm. Um and, and, of course, the collaboration with the other actors, which I really, truly yeah. enjoyed. Uh, which, obviously, you can do in opera, but there you, you are bound by the parameters of the music. Yeah. Um, and that can both be both celebrated and, you know, a, a little bit restraining yeah. from time to time. I find, like, you really have to push for connection in opera, though, and, and rehearsal becomes really important. And I just, like, push, push, push for eye contact. Mm-hmm in mm -hmm. rehearsal just because I want to feel I don't want to feel alone out there like, yeah. I want to be connected to you I want our hearts to be connected and yeah. that comes through like eyes and just that opportunity to develop character and relationship together and I think that's tough in opera where we prepare on our own and then mm. come in and plug into each other It you miss opportunity for connection especially like regionally where we have such limited time for rehearsal now yeah you know you just like, kind of get you're getting dropped in. There's, yeah, and that's a combination of um, efficiency, minimal budget, sure. and you know, yeah. a whole bunch of things. But that is that is tough to deal with. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who jumped in f uh, to sing Rosina really last minute for a show, like day of, hadn't had, sure. didn't walk the stage, like just like. Okay. She's backstage asking the stage, and I was like, do I go in this door? Do I use this door? And they're like, over here. like some people had to kind of direct her backstage. <clears throat> and that's, that's that kind of, well, you're prepared the role. Not just go out there and sing it with everybody else. Yeah. And granted, yeah. most people try not to do that specific situation, but it's not as abnormal as people think it is. Yeah. I mean, it takes a really special person to be able to drop in like that. Yeah. And it's extraordinary. And like, I know I'm not an understudy type because I would like freak out <laughs> like that's not for me to like find out at noon going on you know no I would die but um so it takes a special person but yeah I, I think um you kind of miss the collaboration element yeah and that's what that's like why I do it you know right right I like to collaborate what what drew you back to opera as opposed to staying in Broadway and, and going after solo stuff in Broadway. Was it, did yeah. you feel that the that Broadway had a different path for you or that if you're going to do solo stuff, opera was the way to go? You know, it's kind of both. And I just kind of, I've always had this motto, go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Yeah. And, uh, and opera just like picked me up right away and was like, all right, let's have you do this, this, and this, and now try this, you know? Yeah. And that's been a little tough because I've repeated very little and it's like every month I'm doing a new show, new composer, new language, whatever. But... Um, so I've just been riding the opera wave because that's where the jobs have been for a while now. Um, I would go back to Broadway and I'm still connected in that scene, but I kind of, 
I've been saying no a lot to Broadway scene, which feels, it always feels good to say no, actually. Right. <laughs> it feels like really It's great to be in that position. Badass, yeah. No. Yeah, but it was, it was just stuff I wasn't interested in. Yeah. Like SpongeBob kept calling and being like, please come in for this role, please come in. Now will you come in? We were looking for someone to swing these seven roles. And I was like, I'm just not interested. And I have like a Rusalka coming up this summer. And that, to me, is going to be really cool. Yeah. And, like, and they don't understand what's going on over in Opera World that I would choose Right, because in Broadway, Broadway's it. Like, yeah, that's the top of the game. Yeah, you know? but I'm like, no, I'd rather do Rusalka in Des Moines this summer than be in SpongeBob on Broadway. <laughs> the money may be a little different. A little tiny bit. A little. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you get to sing check. Totally, so. totally. And I would go back to Broadway for the right opportunity. Like one million percent. I I love the Broadway community some of the best people I know very yeah. special thing to be a part of that yeah. machine here but um, but yeah the right opportunity just hasn't presented itself well now you're in a world where you have to travel yeah. consistently yeah. for work and not just for the same show repeatedly. yeah it's intense where you you're all over the place this upcoming summer and then next season, right? Yeah, well, I'm well and you, you were also just in Hawaii. I was just in Hawaii. Uh, yeah, the last year's been crazy. I was like in Tokyo, Arizona, Texas, Iowa, St. Louis, uh, Virginia, and we did like three different cities with that street scene in Virginia. Um, it's just in London. Yeah, the Nashville, Hawaii. That's like last year at a glance. There's yeah. a lot. <laughs> you like, I wake up at home now and I'm like, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where I am. What ever. is my normal? Yeah. Um, but uh, it's about to calm down a bit, though, because I'm in Des Moines this summer doing Votesec, which is going to be insane. And then... Um, what are the dates for that, by the way? Uh, July 6th through the 19th. Damn it. Yeah. I was trying to figure out if I was going to be passing through the Midwest uh, at all during that time frame. And I, I get back in New York on the 3rd or 2nd of July. Oh. Uh, and so yeah. I was like, if I was cutting through, I would totally... Stop! It's, I love that show. It's gonna be good. It's a great yeah, show. Yeah, it's a good cast. It's such a unique opera, it's, in, just in general. Yeah, it's insane. The music is nuts. the The source material is wild. Yeah, and the characters are horrible. Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're like they're they're almost each of them is almost over the top. Yeah, they're right on the edge of being over the top, like and written that way. Right. And then you just get to play with that, which yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. It, and we have five weeks of rehearsal there, which is nice. a luxury. You know, we really get to get in there and get dirty. So yeah. It's what language are you guys doing in? In German. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a nutty score. It's exciting. Everyone's kind of freaking out right now because it's Good. a lot. I mean, it's what's like. They should yeah, be freaking should, out. Everyone too. should be freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> just a small amount. Yeah. Um, That's healthy with that show. Totally. But yeah, after that, I'm home in Philly, and I'm with Opera Philadelphia, and then I'm at the Met all fall, so, and I'll stay, you know, in my own bed in Philly for the Met. What are you doing, uh, what are you doing in Philly? Uh, Love for Three Oranges. Okay. Prokofiev. Yeah. 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 It should be fun. Yeah, then you're all over the map musically, too, then. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not <laughs> repeating anything. My brain is That's dead. wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I, this will be my fourth Akhenaten, but that's literally the only thing I'm repeating in my life. Where else have you done it? Uh, we did it in London twice and LA also. Okay. Yeah, same production. Yeah. So that'll be kind of stepping into some old shoes then. Uh, yeah, nice. love it. I could do it. <laughs> of course, it, it'll be at the Met. But... Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know. It feels like Anthony Rothkastanz and I. We've done every production, and it feels like our show. Yeah. With Phelan, the director, who we've both worked with many times, so it kind of feels like this special thing that we're just traveling around, and it's like, okay, now we're here. And nice. You know, the costumes fit, and you, <laughs> the, you know. It's all the same, just a different house. So yeah, yeah. Well, that explains why you don't have to do a costume fitting for that. No, yeah, yeah. <coughs> no costume fitting for that. That same old one million pound coat will still fit in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> so your your goal is then just you know to maintain body size and you're fine. Yeah, totally. Should, totally. should be easy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it'll be nice. it'll be good. But I'm excited to kind of calm down and sleep at home for a bit. Yeah, before well, getting back on the road. Makes sense. And get and you, with your dog. Does your dog travel with you? Uh, he used to travel more. Now he's kind of mostly home. So it's past that life. Yeah, he like just likes to sleep, and he doesn't like to be alone. So, ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Like I, I understand travel. Like there's a lot of people that travel with their pets. Like big opera singers who travel with their pets, and I, I, I totally get the idea of having the companionship on the road because it can be a very, it can be a very lonely business sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's that whole concept of like when you have gigs and rehearsals, 
you have some you have to hire somebody to yeah. take care of the dog yeah Unless while you're in a different city yeah god totally. knows where yeah which is complicated yeah it can be stressful so you know thankfully he's good at home and my boyfriend's there so it's totally cool nice but, yeah so he's got his own routine he's got a routine totally yeah <laughs> and he likes to be on his mound of pillows in bed so yeah you know so uh, you're very very active on social media and um you're one of the people that's definitely taken good advantage of basically being able to do your own PR and have kind of found where your brand sits and uh, you know where you're comfortable with that. It's funny because I feel like that's not necessarily required as much in the Broadway world because it, like you said, it is a machine. It's got yeah, its own momentum. Yeah. It's got yeah. its own marketing. That's a really specific thing. And while some budgets have waxed and waned with the Broadway world. It hasn't been as dramatic as what's happened with opera in the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so kind of what you're doing has been much more necessary for opera singers yep. that are, especially ones that are climbing the ladder. Yeah. Um, do you have a routine that you follow or are you just kind of in a groove of... For social media? Yeah, for social media. Specifically, yeah. I don't know. I, I just try to keep it like personal and to be a consistent presence mm -hmm. and... Um, both in like consistent in the amount of posts, but the engagement and the style of engagement. And yeah. you know, I respond to everyone's everything because I think it's important and it's a way of audience building. Yeah. And I've brought a lot of people into the opera for the first time just because of my engagement with them on Instagram. You know. Yeah. And that to me is what it's all about right now is is getting that audience in the door. And yeah. Getting first time opera goers in the door. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a big thing when I pitch to opera companies about working with them doing consulting or work with young artists and that kind of thing like it's a social media we always assume that social media I should say a lot of people assume that social media was going to be kind of a, a one-off thing like it was going to be the new fad it was going to be the new internet yeah. fad we'd move on but it's become such a way of life that there's so much more potential to get in front of people that haven't seen opera yep. or have barely seen opera um and helping them feel like they have an individual tie to it. Yep. So by engaging with you, and with you actually being active, answering questions, responding to comments, that kind of thing, you know, it helps. It helps put the butts in seats because it really does. Yeah. They want to come. They're they're there for you. Right. Not necessarily the show or the opera company, right. but for you, which I think is extremely important. It is. And sometimes it's like a bait and switch. You're like, here's a picture of my butt. And then you're like, come to the opera. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's <laughs> sometimes you got to use the thirst trap thing. Absolutely, like it, it works real. for a reason. <laughs> but like Instagram has become just as important or more important than personal websites. Yeah. And like Twitter has uh, far past, you know, the um, like critics' reviews of shows. Like Twitter's more important, at least here in the city and in big cities. I'd say, in, in the coast, it's really big. The Midwest, it kind of is. Yeah, it's it's the last of the social medias I ever totally. a touch on, but on the coasts, yeah, absolutely. Like when we're in London doing a show at English National Opera, it's like you go on Twitter right after the show, and you have like fifty notifications of people that have tweeted at you or are tweeting about the show. Yeah, and there's some real engagement there that's really exciting. And that's the thing. I should. Uh, it is. It is also really big in Europe. Yeah, yeah, huge. and that's and yeah. we we very much get stuck in our American opera mindset. Mm -hmm. That is, mm -hmm. we're here. We're our own little world. Which is somewhat true, but you know, if you want to engage anywhere else, yeah. you kind of have to know yeah. how to engage it. Totally. Um, do you have any? Do you have advice for anybody that's kind of that's that's coming into this, that's young, that's looking at this for the first time? Uh, this career path. Or the, 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 I mean, for, or for social, social media. media in this career path. Okay, so I made a rule with myself a while ago, like don't put anything out anywhere ever that you don't want every single person in the world to see preach don't do it yes like it is there forever you know i guest taught at ithaca college one semester and it was i had a kid one specific kid who was like oh, i'm sick blah 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 i can't come i can't you know it was an opera workshop class so you yeah. like had to show up and perform but then we're like facebook friends and instagram connected on instagram he doesn't even know it and i see all these pictures of him playing beer pong the night before and i'm like dude like you can't play like that. Yep. So it was a good teachable moment just to be like, what you put on the internet is forever yes. and can be seen and it can be captured and shared and don't put anything out there that you don't want everyone to see. So that's one thing. Um, 
be honest, be yourself. Um, I find it weird in opera where people are running their own accounts and they're referring to themselves in the third person with like, <laughs> Mr. So-and-so will be appearing at this place. It's like, dude, we know it's you. Like, <laughs> just say hello. Like, <laughs> why are you being so weird? Right. Like, you're being some weird idea of what you think you're supposed to be as an opera singer. Like, just engage, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, people like to see the behind-the-scenes stuff. People like to see realness, you know? Yeah. And if you're like having a tough time with something the most um rewarding engagements i've had um with people on social media are like when i share something real and mm. vulnerable and people are like wow me too and you helped me today by saying that and then you know it starts this beautiful cyclical thing um where we're just people connecting and yeah it's not like some weird self-promotion that feels disgusting yeah you know yeah and that's when I work with clients that are, let's say, 30, 35 and above, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a lot of that mentality is they feel it's very narcissistic. Yeah, yeah. But when you look at it as, I'm a brand, I need to put something out there, I need yeah. to put content out there, it's, it's not about you being full of yourself. Yeah. It's about you connecting with the people that are interested both in you and your art form. Yeah. And, and then the combination of the two, um, I always say that you can you can vary how much of your personal life you want to put in there. Like you can totally. be very real and very honest, yeah. but only share a third of what's going on in your world. Yeah, don't share anything. <laughs> yeah. and, you, and was that one of those things that you kind of tried to find the balance of um, while being an honest, straightforward person? Or did you have stuff that just is off limits? Like for instance, like I know that Isabel Leonard. Yeah won't show a picture of her kid, mm. which I mm. totally respect. Yeah. Like, she'll mention her kid, she'll take selfies, and then if the kid is around, like, she'll cover over their face. Yeah, yeah. And I completely get that. Totally. With her having, you know, tens upon tens of thousands of followers, yeah. I would be hesitant to put my kid on social media, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so she found a spot where this is as far as I'm going to go sure. with this particular topic. Yep. Have you found stuff that's similar? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get a lot of untoward things in my DMs you yeah, know, yeah. on all platforms. And uh, I've kind of developed a script for that, or I just don't reply, or, you know, but people do kind of feel like they own you when you're putting yourself out there mm-hmm. and when you're performing on stage. They feel like they know you and they've like touched a part of you. And um, that gets a little weird sometimes, but, you know. At the end of it, it's like, okay, you're excited about me, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm going to set boundaries, but also keep it positive, because I want you to, you know, be a part of a group of people that are excited about what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's important. Um, and, um, you know, but it's tough. There's a lot of, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. <laughs> It's the internet. When, when, yeah, when you're not yeah. face-to-face, people feel bold. Yeah, totally. In really specific ways. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of times I just say thank you. And like a guy yesterday wrote me, he's like, you're just so hot and you're a great artist. I just want to give you a massage. And I just wrote thank you. And then I go and I'm like, you know, ignore messages, change right. that setting. Yeah. And then I don't have to see anything more from this person. Yeah. yeah. But I said thank you and I moved on. Right. You know? <laughs> like, what are you supposed to say? I don't know. I mean, you can't, you can't take the energy to, to battle every single one of those. No, no. And honestly, I'd love to be at a place where I'm not responding to everything that comes my way, but I still feel a responsibility to do that at this point. Yeah. And I don't know if that will ever change or not, you know. But yeah, I mean, well, it also can be that, you know, eventually if you end up getting, um, you know, basically a, an assistant that's doing yeah. social media with you, not right. always for, for you, you, but... but yeah, representing you and doing it with you. Yeah, yeah. which which yeah. leads to different different responses either that are you don't ever ever have to read those, right? Or, right, <laughs> they can say I run this account on behalf, <laughs> right? Totally of totally. whomever, um, because I know that like I work with certain people who have media assistants, mm-hmm. and so sometimes when I message them on Instagram, mm-hmm. and like we'll have running dialogues. I'd, get running dialogues with a bunch of singers on Instagram. Sure. And uh, some of them, it's their media assistant. And then sometimes it's them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's and that's fine. Totally respectable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's like, that's, you know, kind of another buffer that's 
that's reasonable. But no, it's good to see that you know you you're able to um, take advantage of being able to put a little distance. A little know, bit. Kind of yeah. found that kind of found that that spot where I'll share some things. Right. But some stuff still just for me. Sure. In my personal life. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's important for singers to hear that going into it, especially young women, because that's something that they will immediately have issue with. Um, because it's, I mean, I've, I've seen my friends' DMs yeah. from Facebook and, and everything else, and it, it's a little ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's the same. I don't know about straight guys, but for gay guys, it's like, yeah. I think the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because I'll get, I'll get those messages from gay guys. Yeah. That know I'm straight, and it's still nobody cares. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's the filter of the internet, so you say things yes. that you wouldn't in real life. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's intense, but you know, but it's important to be present. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think there's. It's funny when you find like a famous singer who has no Instagram account, or they have like 20 followers, and they've posted like three things, and they're posted all wrong, and the picture's upside down. You know. And it's like, okay, okay, but like get in the game because if you're not out there talking about yourself, like chances are no one's talking about you. But it is funny because every once in a while you run across somebody that you know has sung all over the world, yeah, major really. roles in all the significant opera houses, yeah. zero presence whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now with the, with the new, I used to say that a lot of people were, were beyond that. Like I if people want to see engagement and if opera companies want to be able to utilize engagement, yeah. um, it's, it's, a, it's a necessary thing now. And oh, yeah. I wouldn't even say, it used to be that I would consider it a necessary evil. Now I wouldn't say it's necessary it's, evil, it's just necessary. Yeah, it's just, I, I it's love it, the, honestly. Yeah. It's way more good than it is bad. I yeah. do an Instagram takeover every account or every company I work for, you know, yeah. and it's always a really lovely thing and it increases my audience, it increases their audience, right. there's crossover there, it's really nice. Yeah. And, you know, it's important. That's one of those things that I'm glad kind of became a mainstream concept. Yeah. Um, just because you're going to hit different people. I mean, there's going to gonna be people that follow you that don't follow the Met. Right. Totally. Guaranteed. Absolutely. So you yeah. do that and you make it known to the Mets PR team that I'm happy to do this yep. for this show. Yeah. Especially because I've done this show a ton of times. I'm comfortable in my space. Let's yeah. do this and we'll, I'll bring something new to the table. Yep. Um, I always talk to opera companies specifically and say what can you utilize your singers for mm -hmm. whether it's social media or it's interviews or mainstream media or whatever and I said the same thing to young artists I'm like when you go to a company for the first time hit up their PR team be like I do this really well this yeah. really well and this really well yes. use me for whatever you want while I'm here yep. we can either put it in contract and, and eventually you know it's, it's good to have that kind of thing in contract if you're going to be super busy like sure. if you're going to you know go on TV for Opera Philadelphia Ideally, that's something that you have written out, that kind of thing. But if you're going to do a backstage interview on somebody else's Instagram, yeah. like it sounds like a small thing until you get in front of the camera and try and do your first interview. And oh, yeah. Like, oh, shit. Oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen myself on camera. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if you have that skill set and then you approach them and say, totally, I can do these things. Oh, yeah. I mean, coming from the Broadway world, you know, we do like film and TV auditions like mm -hmm. five a week, you know, yeah. and you're just like going on camera every day. You're memorizing something the day of or the night before almost every day. That experience is really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a skill set right there that uh, I think it's now necessary for singers to have no matter what their background is. Totally. You know, if you can yeah. practice having the answers to interview questions already, like, yep. you know, I, I teach seven basic interview questions where you're from when you get an opera what's your favorite role you know what are you working on right now yeah mm -hmm. some stuff we cover in the podcast but then some stuff that you're just going to get and if you have canned answers it, it's not really canned it's preparation yeah well we see i mean there's a um you know election going on right now we see the presidential candidates saying the same thing every place they go yeah and it's okay yeah you know it's you not, can have those that's answers. not popping up out of nowhere nope just telling your story yeah you know and yeah. you have a nice, eloquent way to say it. Like, that's good. And it's completely fine to ask people for help to figure out how to word it. Yeah. Or practice. Totally. I mean... That but also to know how people perceive you and how you're seen. Because yeah. that doesn't always match up with an artist's, like, reality. You know what I mean? How they Very see true. themselves. I learned that. I took a really valuable audition technique class. It was musical theater-based, but it just taught me a lot about how to present myself. And there was this really valuable thing that was said that 
It's like if three or more people tell you the same thing, you have to like own it and deal with it. And so if like three people are telling you you're flat, like you're probably flat, you know, <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, this, the same with presentation. If three people say like, oh, like don't wear that or you seem stiff when you come in the room or you seem, you know, inauthentic, then like deal with it. Yeah. Because I mean, if, if multiple people tell you when you audition, you come off like a douchebag. You're a douchebag. You're a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> it's weird though because we go in that audition room and we're trying so desperately to sell ourselves and a lot of times we get in our own way and don't present ourselves in the best light. I remember, and actually, you know, cause, because of coming from theater where it's a more casual thing, I remember um, just doing these opera auditions for a couple of years and I just felt so fake. And I was like, mm. I hate this suit. I hate this aria. I hate the way my resume looks. I hate everything about this situation. And I decided to just go in and I was like, all right, this next audition, I'm wearing jeans. And I'm just going to go in and say like, hi, how are you? And be normal and be a person. And it went really well. Yeah. And that's when I started booking gigs from auditions in opera because I just was like, okay, being myself, even if it's flawed and someone doesn't like that I wore jeans, that's more authentic and I'm allowed to like be the artist I am and the person I am. And that's what people want. Cause it's unfair what you have to learn about a person in an audition. Mm. If mm -hmm. you're seeing, you have like five, 10 minutes and okay, talent, sure. We, we just assume that everyone can sing and everyone's talented, but you also have to see what kind of person they are. And if you want to collaborate with them and be in a rehearsal room with them forever, and if you feel comfortable like putting them next to your top donor at a gala and putting them at a dinner table for an hour, like yes. those are crazy things to have to learn about someone in five minutes. And if you're not being your authentic self and you're putting on this like idea of what you think you're supposed to be, you're just not doing anyone any favors. Not to mention, you can't know what they're thinking, which means you no. can't really know what they're actually looking for. Yeah. So if you're trying to be what you think they want, you could be way off yeah. base yeah they might have wanted you but you didn't present yourself you sent your weird representative <laughs> so <laughs> it's absolutely true no i think that that being authentic is uh is is borderline currency you know in yeah. this industry yeah uh it's so easy to try and be ex exactly what you said try and be what they want you to be i mean how many times have we sat in audition hallways and everyone's like what if what if, if i choose this for my first aria oh my then God. maybe they'll choose this one i don't really want to sing this one today yeah so maybe i'll lead with the and if i sing this language they're not going to pick this one and they're trying to play the game totally and then trying to figure out you know do i have the energy to put on the energy mm. when i walk in the room mm -hmm. and rather than just going in not yeah. making excuses because we all hate that we don't want to Okay. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got allergies sooner or later. Everybody gets sick sooner or later. Yeah. <laughs> if you're there and you're going to sing, don't make excuses for it. Just yeah. sing. Just do it. But playing that whole game of what do they want me to be. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. It's exhausting it's and it isn't going to get you anywhere. No. No. I mean, think, I've always had like pretty strong instincts and a, a spiritual connection that guides me. And like, I always just rely on that mm -hmm. when I'm freaking out in that moment. I'm like, oh my God, what do I sing? I'm like, what does your heart want to sing right now? Do that even if it's like an English contemporary piece and you're going in for a French Baroque piece, like just do that yeah. and say, this is who I am right now. And then if they like who that is, they'll ask for something else, you yeah. know, like it's okay. Nobody's perfect. And you also you know, don't know what they might be casting for outside of the show ever, that you're singing for. Ever. That, I learned that in musical theater too, because every, there's like five casting directors in New York that cast all of Broadway. And if they see you over and over again, they start bringing you in for stuff. But yeah. like, you may go in for Jersey Boys, but that same person is casting like something next season, a brand new show. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just started going to every audition just to get to know those casting director, directors. Yeah. And I was going in for shows I wasn't right for. Yeah. And, you know, they would laugh and then I would sing and then be like, cool, I'm going to call you in for this other project. Yeah. But it's the same in opera, like especially with opera companies planning like five years out what they're doing. Like, yeah. you have no idea. Like all my jobs this last year were from auditions in like 2013. You know? Right, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> crazy. <laughs> and that right there is part of the topic that we discuss on a semi-regular basis about the fact that people, especially now in New York, like there's so many good singers in New York. Why aren't more locals getting hired for stuff? Mm. They're singing this. They're performing this right now. I could totally sing that. Why are these people getting these? Well, that was probably cast four years ago. Years ago. So if you're singing that right now, too late. Yeah. You weren't on their radar for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. No. But and you might not, be on radar for somebody four years from now. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Yeah, that that game is really hard in opera, and I don't love it, you know. But yeah, because the Broadway thing, they're casting that stuff like a month before sometimes. Right. You know, and there are some opera companies that are casting late like yeah. that. Yeah, and I think that's great because there's room for that. Yeah, and there's singers that don't have work in the next six months to a year that will jump at those opportunities for those last minute casting. I think things. there can be a balance between the two. Yeah. I definitely see why big companies with big money like the Met, like yeah. LA, that are booking stuff years in advance. Sure. It makes sense because they're looking at their their budgets, their donor bases, their, you know, all, so many factors go into what are we doing five years from now? Yep. What yep. are we doing three years from now? Yeah. Then it makes sense and then you want to cast it and hope the voice either remains or matches or gets better in the meantime. Right. Um, but then there's there are other companies that are just like, I need this right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite companies is uh, Union Avenue Opera in St. Louis, and they cast like six months before. Yeah. You know? I, and they won't cast ahead of time, and they won't cast people that don't audition, even if they've worked for them previously. Oh, nice. It's a really nice policy, because yeah. it creates an equal opportunity. Um, you know, but my Met contract, I had three years in advance, yeah. which is like, that was also really nice to know it was coming up, but it's like such a huge gap in the way that companies are doing it. And yeah, I mean, the, the nice thing is if you're singing for somebody like the Met that's booking that far out, you probably have other stuff in the meantime to keep you busy. You hope. You right. never know. Yeah. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the Wild West out there, I think. It's really yeah. crazy. There's no rhyme or reason. So many different policies, so many different ways to do yeah. the business. Yeah, truly. It can be chaotic. Yeah, it, it really can. Yeah. <laughs> I, I applaud anyone who's doing it, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no matter what stage they are in their career. So, uh, so what's, what's going to be new for you moving forward? Uh, or is there going to be anything new for you moving forward after this season that you don't repeat a whole lot of stuff. Do you Nothing. have contracts for, for further out? You know, I only have contracts out like a year right now, which feels weird because I had that Met contract tucked away for the last three years. So yeah. now I'm like, oh my God, I'm not working because I only have contracts for a year, but it's okay. Um, you know, yeah, I have some cool stuff coming up. I have a world premiere with uh, written by Paola Pristini, who's a legend, amazing, love her. Uh, I have a few projects actually uh, brewing with Paola, um, but the world premiere of Edward Tulane at Minnesota Opera. And uh, she and I have been working on um, a new opera of The Old Man and the Sea, which we've oh, done. Nice. Uh, we've workshopped it at Robert Wilson's Watermill Center. Uh, we did a thing with Renee Fleming at Carnegie Hall, and uh, we did it at National Sawdust as well. So that's like long term in the works, but there's some companies really interested in that. And I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know. I just have my Verity and Wagner debuts this past year. I have another Verity next year, which, you know, exciting, but I'm always looking for like that tour de force opportunity in a world premiere where you get to use all your skills yeah and when a composer is like what's your top note what's your bottom note where do you like to sing and then they write something for you and it's like no one else can sing it like you and it's yours like that's kind of what i'm always itching for something like that yeah where i just get to utilize like what i have to give yeah. which i don't always get to do in a supporting bass role in a verity opera you know right what i mean so this seems to be a year for the rapid expansion of new music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I love it. Yes, it's, it's important. It's, it's, important to, it's important for the industry in so many different ways. Mm. But actually seeing uh, so many female composers in the works now and directors yeah. and yeah. ADs and, and yeah. librettists. And, uh, yep. This is a season for people that haven't had a voice Yep. consistently before. It's a time in the world, yeah. I think, everywhere. Which is extremely exciting yeah. to see yeah. what's happening in the regular world actively and so quickly being affected, yeah. affecting opera. Well, like, everything's viral now. Yeah. You know, new ideas spread like mad. And I had a great conversation. I've worked with a lot of female composers. I feel really lucky about that. And I had a conversation with Kristen Hevner the other day who wrote the first opera I ever did, actually. And... Um, and I, we were talking about a composer we both admired, and I was like, yeah, but like, I don't see a lot of commissions coming for him because he's an old white dude. And she laughed so hard, and she was like, that's so amazing to hear, because when we were in school, it was only old white guys yeah. doing everything. And you know, now there's this opportunity that, I mean, it's so incredibly important, but it's a swinging pendulum, and you know, it's, it's an interesting time yeah. to be alive. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got to work with Kristen Hevner, with Missy Mazzoli. I did a premiere with her, and now my collaborations with Paolo. Like, I feel 
incredibly lucky to work on new music yeah. with such incredible artists, you know, composers like that, yeah. that are like, no, let's break the mold and reinvent it and fuck it, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's what art's all about. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Always has been. I mean, listen, everything was once new. Yeah. And it pisses me off, really, when we're, like, making things so precious in a Mozart opera. It's like, dude, like, he wrote it the morning it premiered. Can we not? <laughs> really? We're going to argue, like, eighth note versus quarter note? Like, literally, he wrote it and, like, threw it at someone, and she, like, made it work. Yeah. It's not that precious. There like, were those times when those composers were not... You didn't have that score months at a yeah, time. <laughs> yeah. Like Gilbert and Sullivan's stuff, they like kept that stuff under wraps until right before opening because of plagiarism. Yeah. Because things were getting picked up and like done in other cities before they premiered mm-hmm. at the theaters that they were supposed to. So, yeah, I don't know. It makes me upset. But <laughs> opera needs to be shaken up pretty hard. And, you know, and I think it's based on the reactions of the people who have been in the industry for a really long time. It's getting shaken up. Yeah, totally, know. totally. It just, it needs to continue. Yeah. It needs to not Agreed. fall off after the season. It needs yeah. to... I mean, it's tough in the digital age, too, because we're expected to be perfect. And that's also not how it was meant to be yeah. you know, when these works were written. So it's tough. Yeah. You know, and to be compared to the best singers that ever lived, basically, because we have recordings of them, you know. I mean, that's something that we didn't deal with. Yeah. 100 plus years yeah. ago there wasn't a well I'm going to listen to this recording of this person this recording of this person yeah. and then I'm going to go see this person sing it live right and see how they all stack up right totally yeah that wasn't a factor before it was opinion versus opinion yep yeah it's tough but I have faith in opera's future but I think it's going to change drastically yeah and it might not look like what people think it's going to look like and it might make a lot of people sad and angry yeah <laughs> You know, I already see that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, being a part of several digital opera companies, I, I mean, I think that opera is first and foremost a live and predominantly acoustic art form just because having recorded opera for, let's see, I'm 38 now, 20 years, yeah. 19 years. Um, and with some of the, some of the best equipment around you still can't capture that live performance and so i think that this whole the people that are scared of the digital age need to realize that it can supplement the stage performances it can work together it can work in tandem it can work side by side Mm. it doesn't have to be this is going to be taking over this yeah um i don't think we're going to ever truly lose the live performance but we're going to gain a lot of integrated media and uh, performances on media and on different devices. Yeah. Um, which I think is it's great. great. Yeah, it's totally great. We're doing a HD broadcast of Akhenaten at the Met and it's like... There you go. I mean, the, the it's Met... It's going to be crazy. The Met did a lot to pave the way yeah. for... Peter Geld, man. ...watching Legend. opera in a, t- in a different different way. Yeah. Yeah. Which, even, even when that happened, there were plenty of naysayers to that. Yeah. And now... They haven't really changed much since they started the HD broadcast. No. Conceptually, no. it's still basically it's the same, the same yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, I did. I've done a little bit of TV, and I did an episode of Murphy Brown recently, and the ratings came out, and it was like, oh yeah, seven million people saw it. They were like, only seven million people saw it, <laughs> right. and I was like, wait a second, like we just did. Um, you know, I had just done an opera, and I was like, okay, so like maybe twenty five hundred people saw that opera we did, but we you know barfed up this 20 minute episode of murphy brown and like two days of taping and seven million people saw it <laughs> like okay opera like yeah you know it's it's really important to put it out though. those hd broadcasts are incredible yeah it reaches 70 countries like are you kidding that's amazing and it also puts a very different spin on the operas because of course they're directed as well yeah and totally. uh, and some of them like I've seen some HD broadcasts where I preferred them to the actual opera. Yeah. Like, I saw the opera live. Yeah. And then saw the broadcast. You're, like, uh, you're like in the costume with the person. You're yeah. so close. Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, on well, stage. I with remember them, you know? uh, they, did the, um, they did the HD broadcast for Marnie on the last mm, performance. Mm. And I was at that performance, actually. It was one of... I, I, was at, I was in the house, but I was watching the HD broadcast yeah. from List Hall. 
it was one of the best HD broadcasts I've ever seen. Wow. Because that, it was such a cinematic show to begin with. Oh, yeah. That to watch it directed with the camera, like, if you watch that, the, the last the last scene where she stands there and the lights go out and then go out and it's just this, just right on her face and then that blacks out, yeah. they're, they're tight on her face when that happens. That's so, amazing. like, the last thing you see is Isabel Leonard in a close-up. Mm. And then the lights go out. Just well, the face and the lights yeah. go out. And it was so dynamic and so strong a performance. And she's a hell of an actor. She's an amazing actor. Um, yeah. And so that just yeah. added to everything. I was like, this was, this was a stellar HD broadcast. Absolutely. But there's also opera acting at the Met that isn't meant for the camera. You know? Absolutely. And I think you have to know how to do many things at once right now. Yeah. You have to know how to act and like basically send your energy out into an, an enormous yeah. house, but keep it film realism. On camera and knowing that they're in your face. Well, now that now that audition videos are such a big thing, yeah, and people are legitimately getting booked for gigs either overseas or across the country based on a video that they sent out, that's something that singers have to look at really specifically um, between breaking the fourth wall and like making eye contact when that camera is eight feet away. Yeah, is is too strong of a choice. Ninety five percent of the time, ninety nine percent of the time, it's jarring. It's yeah. it's too much. Um, and then you know making sure that. The energy is there, like you said, but your gestures aren't leaving the screen. Yeah. You know, they're not leaving the frame. Um, you're not using that. I need to be seen at the back of a three thousand seat house. Yeah. That's not how you're, you know know who your audience is. Right. Um, and that's a, that's a new right. skill set that was never a factor. Yeah. It really wasn't a factor before, like three years ago. Well, I think it's possible to do both. Absolutely, and, it is skillfully, artfully, yeah. but you have to be thoughtful about it and deliberate. That's, that's exactly what it is. It's a matter of being deliberate and knowing what the differences are. Right. And then once you know what the differences are and you've had just, you know, a once through, a little bit of training, it's not hard to incorporate. It's just you have to be knowledgeable of mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, we're in a really unique place for opera in general, and um, it makes me really happy to be on this side of things, kind of behind the scenes and, and, and helping make the marketing aspect of things work and the PR aspect of things work and uh, I just got had two requests today for people to do PR I teach singers how to do their own PR kind of like this is what you need to know until you have management until you can afford having a PR team which like no one can by the right way. there are very few people who really yeah. truly can because I thought I could and I looked into it last year and I was like oh no no never <laughs> well, and that's, and, but that's the thing is like I looked at what it would what I should charge yeah realistically to maintain somebody's PR at a professional level. And I, I said, okay, if I do this, I have to drop a whole bunch of stuff over here on the side, and I have to focus more on that specifically. Sirens again, that's right. Um, and, but if I'm gonna spend the time to make it worth their while to be paying, mm -hmm. worthwhile to be paying, I need to be charging basically four figures a month. That's what people are charging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it realistically, that eleven $1 hundred to fifteen hundred dollars a month, or is, more, or, right? <laughs> yeah. Is is kind of the, you know, that's the uh, we're boutique agency. That's we don't have a whole lot of staff. Yeah, we'll take on a dozen people, but we actually have a staff to do it, and this is what it's going to cost. Right. Um, but no, if you're if you're paying the big stuff, you know, three grand a month is three to five. Three to five is yeah. not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. That's so crazy. it's I find it better to teach people. Here's what you can do to save yourself money. Yes. Because yes. so much of this is designed to be done by yourself. Yep. Like it's designed to be done by the user, not somebody working on your behalf. That's the whole point yeah. of social media. Totally. It's the same as like knowing how to kind of fake your way through piano. Yeah. And being able to teach yourself music. Like, or you could pay millions of dollars to someone to teach you in like hours of your week. Right. Or you could have a piano in your house and like know how to read music. Right. But, you know, it's the same necessary skill yeah marketing yourself yeah and it's not talked about in school no it's not no it's really important but honestly it's like the same with like acting and movement like why don't opera programs have the same acting requirements that musical theater programs have it's still so musical like... theater it's the same exact thing yeah like you're telling a story on a stage and you're acting and like inhabiting your body and inhabiting character and it's like y you can go through a whole program and get a master's degree and not know anything about specific styles of Nothing acting and how to be a scene partner it's like totally crazy but the, that's a whole nother tangent the best <laughs> i know it's a tangent i'm i'm all too familiar with and more than happy to be the advocate of yeah but the thing that taught me the most about acting was doing improv mm. 
you know, I was part of a drama club in undergrad, and we did improv once a week. That's amazing. And uh, nothing is more stretching than that. Nothing teaches oh, yeah. you about taking risks. Yeah. More than that, because like tackling fear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like speaking a new language. Like when you're an adult and you're learning a new language, you're afraid to make mistakes mm. and say the wrong thing. Right. Improv is very similar to that. Acting in general can be very similar to that. You're like, ah, is this the right choice? Did I, did I have the right thing in my head? Should I right. do that? Should I not do that? Now the moment's gone. Yep. Long past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Yeah, it, it honestly pisses me off when we're like selling children $200,000 degrees and they like leave school without necessary skills to be on stage. Or hearing the same shit that we were taught in the early 90s. Yeah, like, yeah, or later. Yeah. That knowledge is old. Well, you know, some of the stuff that I was taught in the late 90s, early 2000s, mid-2000s, is the same stuff that was taught in the 80s mm. by some of the exact same people. Right, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, industry Maybe didn't know then, you know. Maybe they were yes. faking it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been out of the Broadway scene for, like, five years now and people ask me like now about probably auditioning whatever and I'm like okay listen I'll tell you what I know but it's like five-year-old knowledge so it's not relevant anymore yeah five years because that's how fast it moves like and then you have people that have 20 year old knowledge and it's like come on that's, that's why I try and sit in on as many auditions as I possibly can because yeah. I'm not actively auditioning as a singer now mm -hmm. but I get asked all the time by young artists well what's the What's the audition scene like in New York? What are people wearing? How do I behave? Right. I remember hearing those the responses to those questions from people who hadn't auditioned in twenty years. Yeah, no, no. And like, this is how you do it. And like, how right. would you know? And then you have an epidemic of women in jewel tone dresses with nude pumps. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> For more information about today's guest, visit our website at operabizpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show with two interview episodes and two social media sound bites each month. You can find me directly on Instagram at the Beard and Lens, and the podcast Instagram is at Opera Biz. Thanks for listening to the Opera Biz podcast.